Father, guide us as we look at the life of Moses. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you'll need a set of notes. We give a quiz at the end. You can't leave until you pass it. So uh, <clears throat> we are looking at, uh, well, there was a debate among the board members. What do we study next? And uh, one board member said, we did the Psalms. That's rather girlish. Let's do something really masculine. I said, what? All right. Uh, I thought David was pretty masculine, but I said, well, what about the life of Moses? So we're going to journey it. This is 10 weeks. We're going to take us through the Exodus. Uh, and then the last 10 weeks, and that is in the January through March, we're going to look at his latter life, leading him through the wilderness until his death. So that's the plan of attack. And I don't know, when you, you hear the Moses, you're probably thinking of the, the Ten Commandments uh, with Charlton Heston, right? Uh, in fact, I was just thinking, when, when I mention the character Moses, what do you think of? Help me out. What, do you, what, what comes to mind when you hear Moses? Parting of the sea. Parting of the sea. Let my people go. I'm sorry? Deliverance. Do you realize, in your notes, I mentioned this at the top, Moses is mentioned 800 times in the Bible. 800. If we, we could go through the list, um, just think about even in the New Testament. Where does he appear in the New Testament? By name. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels. He appears at the Transfiguration, right? And why is he there? That's a whole other issue. Uh, there are volumes written on Jesus as the new Moses or the new Exodus seen through particular books. Moses plays a key role. And if you, you, you look at how he's depicted, again, this is there in your notes. You see him as a prophet, a priest, a leader, a poet, a miracle worker, a mediator, an administrator. Now you think about it, he's the founder. Uh, I mean, George Washington is all over our stuff. Moses would have been all over their stuff, right? He's the, he established the law. He established the tabernacle. Uh, and as you mentioned, he delivered the people. So when you look at Moses, uh, key player. But what's very significant is he's known as a man of God. That's true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. Stephen. Think about Stephen or the book of Hebrews. Stephen in Acts talks about Moses and this man of God. And the book of Hebrews also mentions the same thing. He is a key player in the book. Well, I'd like you to turn to chapter 2 of Exodus. Uh, we're, we don't have the luxury to go through all of Exodus, so we're going to skip uh, around a bit. Uh, we will go verse by verse in our study. But if you would turn to Exodus chapter 2, and that's where we're going to start this morning. It says, A man from the household of Levi married a woman who was a descendant of Levi. Now, it sounds like such a lovely love story, doesn't it? But you, get, you need to know the backdrop. And I, uh, you, you got to go back to chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1, and let's start at verse 18. It says, Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? If you recall, he has ordered all of the men, the male childs, the, the boys that are born, to be killed, right? 
Why is he doing that? We, we'll talk more about that as we come along. But the, the Israelites have multiplied. The Egyptians uh, are concerned about this. Uh, they, this minority group is, is very powerful. And it's a way they control them. And it says, so God treated the midwives well and the people multiplied, that is the Israelites, and they became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he made households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded, here it is, all his people, all sons that are born, you must throw them into the river. But all daughters, you can allow them to live. This is the backdrop, right? It's genocide is taking place in the land of Egypt with the Israelites. And so when it, you read that this young man and this young woman got married and they were going to have a child, <laughs> right? You get the idea. The music's starting to play. And, the, and worse yet, she becomes pregnant, right? The next verse says she became pregnant and worse yet, she gave birth to a son. So at this point, you know, if, if you, the listener, should be sitting up and take nourishment. This, you should, your antenna should be up. Something awful is going to happen here or something great. It's one or the other. Uh, this is not a coincidence, right? When she saw the mother, that he was a healthy child. Some texts have beautiful. It's the same word used when God looked at his creation. He said, it is good. It's beautiful. She hid him for three months. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine hiding an infant for three months, right? Uh, what, do, what do newborns' parents do? Look at little Johnny, right? Uh-uh, not now. But when she was no longer able to hide him, she took a papyrus basket for him. Uh, that's reeds there in the land. It's also used for paper. And sealed it with bitumen and pitch. It's the same, bitumen, by the way, is the same Hebrew term, term for mortar in chapter 1 that they were used for the bricks, the, for the slaves, of Israelite slaves. She put the child in it and set it among the reeds along the edge of the Nile. The Nile had crocodiles. Don't forget that. We forget that sometimes. His sister stationed herself at a distance to find out what would happen to her brother. Who's the sister, by the way? Miriam. Remember Miriam? Then uh, <clears throat> this is the first time Miriam's mentioned. The last time she's mentioned in scripture, uh, she's opposing Moses. And it wasn't a beautiful scene. <laughs> You're, we'll look at that down the road. So the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself by the Nile while the attendants were walking alongside the river. And she saw the basket among the reeds. She sent one of her attendants, took it, opened it, and saw the child, a boy. <gasps> you know, that, that's the significance. And she knows he's Jewish. He's circumcised. All right? Three months, he'd have been circumcised. And that's significant. Because she knows that as well, because she's going to have a Hebrew nurse. Watch this. Crying. And she felt compassion that's interesting. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. How did the Egyptians view the Israelites? It said they loathed the Israelites. Just the opposite. There was no compassion. Kill them. Eliminate them. All right? And it said she felt compassion, and this is one of the Hebrew children. So there it is. 
Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get a nursing mother for you from the Hebrews so that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes, do so. So the young girl went, got the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take the child and nurse him for me, <clears throat> and I will pay your wages. <laughs> so the woman took the child and married, or nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him from the water. There's a few things I want to look at this morning in light of uh, his birth, Moses' birth, and setting up the scene as looking at this man of God. The first that we see here at this birth scene of, of Moses, there, there's no angelic visitation, is there? There's no flash of light. There's no vision that's seen. That's vastly different than other characters in Scripture, isn't it? Think about some of the Old Testament characters already that we've seen and their births and, you know, Isaac and that whole event. But not with this guy. With Moses, it seems off the radar. In addition, we're told they're from which tribe? What does the text say? The tribe of Levi. What are the parents' names in the text? They're not even mentioned. Right? There's a lot of anonymity in the text here. Now, they're mentioned later in chapter 6. We know the mother's name is Jochebed, which is very significant. And I mentioned this in your notes. Jochebed is the first character in the Old Testament that's named after uh, the Lord. The Yo is reference to Yahweh, and it means her name, her name means Yahweh is glorious. <laughs> Jochebed. Uh, she, by the way, is the aunt of uh, Moses' father, which was a marriage that was forbidden later under the law. Oops. Some argue that's why the parents' names aren't mentioned because it's a little bit embarrassing in Israel's history to have a man who's married to his aunt. I don't think so. Why do you, th well, you may agree with that, but why else might we not mention the parents' names? Good. Who said that? Jason. Yeah. Focus. Yeah. The, 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 uh, the Pharaoh's not mentioned. The prince's na daughter's name is not mentioned, nor is uh, Moses' sister. No one's given a name here except for Moses. Because that's where we're, I think that's where we're honing in on this. Is this is the guy we want to talk about. Now, in your notes, I mentioned Jochebed. She puts her family at great risk by saving her son, doesn't she? Uh, this disobedience to the commandments of uh, Pharaoh reminds me a little bit of Rahab, another woman in Scripture who, who uh, later we see uh, does not adhere to the law of the land. In your notes, I mentioned as well, again, that Moses' name means beautiful. This is at the bottom. And there are some theories from commentators. I think what we see is that God's hand is already on this boy. God already has called out this one called Moses. Um, 
I know. Uh, it, if it wasn't inspired, we would have said, well, yeah, every mother thinks her child's beautiful. <laughs> but I, there's more to this than simply he's a good-looking boy. In fact, Acts, when Stephen rehearses a bit of the history of Israel, he mentions that Moses is beautiful, and that's there in your notes. And you can see that in Hebrews 11 as well. So we have a man whose God's hand is upon. Now, this Jacobet, as we see at the top of page 2, just for there in your notes. Um, she conceals the son for three months. The son is getting stronger lung capacity. <laughs> uh, he's becoming mo mobile uh, to, to some level, and now it's becoming a problem. And I mentioned there in your notes, she is going to really, Jacobed really is just trusting the Lord to provide. You realize I, 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 she places him in what's called an ark. It's the same Hebrew term for Noah in the ark, Genesis 6 through 9. It's the same word, uh, which is, I think, interesting. Uh, they're both saved through water, both Noah and Moses. Um, one little interesting tidbit, by the way, is in one way, while Jacobed goes against Pharaoh's edict, in another way, she obeys him because she does throw her child in the water, in the river, doesn't she? In an ark. Um, and uh, I mentioned there in your notes, as Moses was saved from the waters, so he would deliver the Lord's people through the waters. Uh, very significant what's going on here as we look at this. <clears throat> in your notes, I mentioned, really, this is a form of a, of abortion, throwing him in the water. It was a common practice in the ancient world. So when Pharaoh says, have all the boys thrown in the water, that was a way to discard. Uh, one commentator that's in your notes says they, it would be equivalent to leaving a child on the steps of the church. Uh, I think it's a little bit stronger than that. Um, you know, one, they'll drown. If they don't drown, they'll be eaten by a crocodile. And so there you are. Um, they'd be gone. You can see that there in your notes. There's, the reason that's brought up is there's other ancient stories of mothers putting their child in the river. Um, and some have said, well, where did the story originate? Well, I believe uh, it was a common practice. That's why you see it in numerous places in ancient literature. Questions up to this point? Yes. It's not recorded here, but would he have had a We'll get to that in a minute. Would he have had a Hebrew name? There appears to be that, and some would argue that Moses is still a Hebrew name. So we'll look at it in a minute. <laughs> yes. Is yeah, there any indication as to where in the, the river they placed this ark? Okay, where in the river? Yes, let me get to, well, yes. Thank you. You're reading my notes. Uh, that's great. PowerPoint slides. Uh, <laughs> this is the region where the Israelites were settled in the land of Goshen. All right. Very fertile. It's where the Nile would then pour into the Mediterranean. So somewhere in this region, exactly where? No, I don't, I don't think we can guess. Uh, there are some speculations where the, the Pharaoh's family would have been bathing in river. It wouldn't just be anywhere along the Nile. But it's somewhere in this vicinity. Uh, there's also great speculation on who is the Pharaoh. But I want to show you something very significant. If you take, uh, I don't want to get too technical, but if you take the typical, uh, the more traditional reading is a 1400 
B.C. date of the Exodus. If that's the case, then the Pharaoh at the time is Tutmos I. Does this sound familiar, Tutmos? Uh, Mos is the son of. Tut is a god. So we'll look at that in a minute. But he has a princess who becomes a pharaoh. Yes, there were women pharaohs. There's only two in Israel's history. One of them is Hatshepsut, this lady. She rules for 22 years. This is her, her funeral mortuary. Those are people. I've been there. It's unbelievable. In fact, if you go to the Valley of the Kings, you can climb over the ridge and come back down. We had a 21 students, we had 21 guards with machine guns because uh, just the summer before, 21, uh, or not 20, I think it was 25 British tourists were hacked to death. So it's a very interesting place to be. But uh, we climbed over the ridge and down to this mortuary. Um, the reason I mention her is she becomes Pharaoh. She's the princess of Tutmos I. If you take a 1400 dating, this was the Pharaoh at the time of Moses being thrown into the river. And her son becomes co-regent, co-heir, co-reign. There is strong possibility Moses could have been co-regent, co-pharaoh in the land at that day. Or at least become pharaoh after she dies. That's how significant this is. Uh, this isn't just some princess, most likely. This isn't just some pharaoh. And it's not just that Moses had an opportunity to be raised in the courts, as, uh, as later mentioned in the New Testament and other Jewish writings. No, 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 no. Uh, I think there's a strong possibility Moses would have been number one in command of all of Egypt. That's very significant. I mean, this is the world power of the day. This is, uh, you know, the U.S., in the last 20 years, Egypt was it. It was the world power. Uh, again, if that's taking a 1400 dating, some take a 1200 dating of the Exodus, and then that would change all of this. But I think that has problems. Both of them have some issues. But uh, as a strong possibility, that could have been. And this is a likeness of them. Um, anyway, there's so much we could say there. Questions on that? Isn't that significant? Uh, I think we miss that sometimes. Uh, God, God has his hand on Moses, and it's not a coincidence that he allows him to study in the best schools of the, of, in the world. <laughs> training and equipping him and preparing him for leading uh, a group of, uh, a motley group out of Egypt into the land of uh, Canaan. Well, let's go back to the text, and we look at this. And notice what the, the princess's daughter states in verse 6. She feels compassion as she sees the child. I mentioned this in your notes. The term is normally used of God's compassion for his people. Um, and, and, and that's really amazing because there's three things going on. Number one, she has to be aware of the problem of the Israelites. Right. You don't have to live long in the U.S., to know there's a tension going on with a particular minority group, right? <laughs> uh, it doesn't take long to figure out there's some issues going on even in the U.S. All the more so at this time frame uh, in, in, in the land of Egypt. Look at chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Just look at this. 
It says a new king or a new pharaoh who did not know Joseph came to power over Egypt. He said to his people, now watch what he says. Look at the Israelite people, more numerous and stronger than we are. Come, let's deal wisely with them. Otherwise, they will continue to multiply. And if a war breaks out, they will ally themselves with our enemy and fight against us and leave the land. Ultimately, yes, they side with the Lord of hosts <laughs> and he does battle with Israel, with Egypt and they do leave. But already there's this prejudice, there's this stigma that's associated with th this people group, the Israelites. Secondly, I mentioned in your notes, there's, there's a disdain, it's a text we just read, right? Not only are they fearful of the, the Israelites, the Egyptians hate the Israelites. And then finally, we have the edict of her own father, the princess's father, who says, kill all the boys, wipe them out. Girls we can handle. They can marry and have interracial marriages and they can dis dissipate into the, the crowd. But you can't do that with boys. So get rid of the boys, kill them. Plus they're the ones who are going to fight in the army. <laughs> Girls aren't going to do that. So the, the boys are, the, are what we're concerned about. Now, I don't believe it's a coincidence that Pharaoh's daughter is bathing in this particular part of the river. I think Jochebed knew that. I think it was orchestrated very carefully, and that's why Miriam, Moses' sister, is standing on the sidelines. I mentioned this in your notes, that Miriam never is identified uh, as Moses' sister. However, the Egyptian princess surely is not naive, Right? As one scholar states, is she so simple, referring to the princess, to think that this young Hebrews girl's appearance is coincidental? <laughs> no. Is she so slow to be unable to connect the woman who instantly materializes her breast filled with milk with the child's mother? No. I think the princess knows full well what's going on here. She knows who's who in this equation. And I wrote there in your notes, not only does the Lord grant safety to Jacobed's son, the Lord also grants financial provisions. The Pharaoh paid for Jacobed to nurse her own son. Isn't that amazing? I was thinking about God's hand in my life, and I, I'm sure many of you could, we could go around the room and testimony of how God has orchestrated events, and you go, what? he didn't need to do that. <laughs> But he's made these provisions, and he did that with Moses. And for Jacobed, she trusts, God honors, and provides. One commentator states, ironically, this child, once doomed to death by Pharaoh's decree, will become the very instrument of Pharaoh's destruction. Think about it. The entire military, the next generation is wiped out. Right? With the oldest son and the, the last of the plagues. But not only that, the country's in ruin. Their crops are in ruin. Right? And, and if that isn't sufficient, the Israelites plunder them by taking the gold. Remember they borrowed the gold from the neighbors the night before? I mean, this country's decimated by the time the, <laughs> the Israelites leave. And the means through which all Israel escapes, not only Pharaoh's decree, but Egypt itself. Isn't that a great quote? Um, God's provisions for his people. He promised them via Abraham that they would multiply. Pharaoh, 
via Satan, seeks to, to counteract the multiplication. And God says, no, 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 no. This is my decree. They will multiply. They will inherit the earth, the land that I have given to them. And you, O Pharaoh, are not going to reverse my decree. You catch what's going on here, right? This is a, this is a theological battle that's going on. As we mentioned in verse 10, uh, eventually we see here in chapter 2, verse 10, that Pharaoh says, daughter, um, she, after the child grows older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. That's very significant. Again, if this is Hatshep put the most, one of the most powerful women ever in, in, in Egypt's history, which I think it is, that's an extremely important statement. He is rising up to the ranks. Acts 7.22, Stephen states that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Why not? He's now seen as Pharaoh's grandson. And some of you have grandchildren. You'd give them everything. <laughs> My colleague said, if I knew grandkids were this great, I'd have had them first, right? Uh, uh, you'd you do anything for them. And this is now Pharaoh's grandson. And if the princess is who we think she is, uh, she's one strong-willed little lady. <laughs> uh, she was quite ruthless, by the way. She didn't get where she was uh, by sitting on the sidelines. She was type A, strong-willed. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That's what she was. Well, the question is, she calls his name Moses. The text tells us in verse 10, right? It says, and uh, she called his name Moses saying, because I drew him from the water. And we could spend the next hour talking about how in the world did this name come about? What does it really mean? There are a couple major theories on the term Moses. A more common theory is the one I alluded to earlier, and that is in Egyptian language, uh, Moshe uh, means the son or child of. Uh, it's used with, often with Pharaoh's names, but it's not exclusive to Pharaoh's, but often it is. Uh, and if you think about that, um, Nero, uh, the emperors called themselves sons of God as well, right? Uh, they're right there with God. And the Egyptians were no different. And I give you a few names in your notes. Atmos, Tutmos, even Ramses. Uh, that phrase is the son of Ra, the son of Tut, the son of Ah. Uh, that's what you see here going on. And, and, and Hamilton in his commentary highlights that. Other scholars go, no, 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 no. It's not an Egyptian name we're dealing with. It's a Hebrew term because the Hebrew term Moshe, very similar, means to be drawn out. And the text tells us she drew him out of the water, so that's where she gets the idea. The argument, of course, against that is how would she know Hebrew? Right? Uh, and, and so there's this difficulty going on, and I'm going to be a good politician and I'm going to punt uh, by stating at the top of your notes in many ways, Moses is both Egyptian and he's also an Israelite. And, and I think there is intentional vagueness here because his name allows him to be relating to, relates to the, the, to the Hebrew people, but it also allows him to relate to the Egyptians. Um, did he have a birth name, 
most likely. It was, I mean, mommy and daddy or the community named a child, not an outsider and not an Egyptian princess. All right. So she's renaming him. Um, partly, remember, um, she's, <laughs> she's bringing him up into, under Pharaoh's nose. So she's, he's got to appear as an Egyptian. Right, so I'm going to rename him. I'm going to redress him, and that's not foreign. If it is put, uh, she wore a beard to appear as a man uh, because uh, she wanted more respect. So she also changed her countenance as well. Um, comments or questions on on the text here? Relative to verse ten. Yes. Any guesses as to how old Moses would be here? The question on verse 10 is how old is Moses? I'm going to assume he is still referred to well when the child grows older some have taken this that he's now at uh, um, the bar mitzvah age the 13, 12. I, I see it as still a little bit older but because he's still a child he's grown older uh, enough that he's able to be educated, etc. We don't know exact age. Okay. So what's he called before he's 13? Or 12? We, d we don't know. There's no, no, the text never gives us a name. He's always known as Moses. Yes, Steve. That's where the problems come with dating the Exodus. And who's the Pharaoh? Um, yes, there's, there's a couple lists of, of Pharaohs. This is the 18th dynasty. So trying to figure out who's who and who's, who's on deck uh, is, is problematic. Uh, is the Exodus recorded in ancient Egyptian history? No, not by... Uh, if, if you take a 1400 dating, then you're going to argue um, for... Uh, Amenhotep II as the pharaoh of the Exodus and it's intriguing in, in Egyptian writings there appears to be two Amenhotep II's uh, I'm sorry Amenhotep's uh, son the III there seems to be two of them and one is a political warrior and then the next guy he, first he's seen as this great warrior taking over lands and the next one you see same, same person at least in reference He's seen as uh, kind of a mommy's boy, never leaves the house, loves the arts. They're two different people. Well, it, that could be if the Pharaoh was killed. Amenhotep, I'm sorry, Amenhotep II. If he was killed in, the, in the, the Red Sea, then Egypt's got to replace him very quickly and it appears that everything is still stable. So that's the argument as well for Amenhotep II. There's some other pieces that we could get technical, but... Um, and that's where it also resides is with archaeological evidence and then in Israel. Because if you have the destruction of, of cities, uh, what time frame was Jericho destroyed? Is it 1400, 1200, or a different date? And there are some problems with that. I'm not going to deny it. Uh, that's the beauty. We take groups. When we go to Israel, we go to Hatzor because there's a burn level that's from the 1400s. Um, and to me, that's strong evidence to show Joshua only destroyed certain cities and Hatzor was one of them. But... Again, um, it, it, it's, 
it's a little piecing together this puzzle, and we have several pieces gone, key pieces, which makes it hard on exact dating. But First Kings chapter six, or First Kings one six, mentions that it's four hundred and eighty years from the time of Solomon. So that's where you get some of the dating. Any other questions? I was in the, I was in New York on business last week, and we went to the Metropolitan Museum and saw the display of her. The, yeah, they have, they have her Sphinx there. Uh, uh, yeah, that it, it, it had been completely destroyed by the subsequent ruler, and MMA put it back together. But it's, it's, yeah, historical. If you go to the New York Met, they've got one of the largest collections of Hatshepsut yeah. uh, statues, and almost all of them are disfigured. Her nose is broken, etc. That's because Thutmose III couldn't stand her, and as soon as some believe she was murdered, and then he disfigured all of her, tried to erase her name. Yeah, and the one Sphinx. Yeah, yeah, and, and the false beard, yep. If you've not been to the Met, there's also a side room they don't take anyone to, but they have bricks that were made, and it's very interesting. Uh, if you look at them, they're fairly large, and all of a sudden they get very small with very little straw. There's some time frames. They don't say anything about time frame or who did them. They just have a, a, a collection of bricks from the time of Egypt, uh, and it's very interesting. Well, so what? This is great. You know, I love this history lesson, Hafeditz, but I didn't get up at 7 o'clock, or did we get here at 7, just to, to, to hear about Moses and Hatshepsut and all this stuff. So what's the deal? All right, number one. One of the major themes found in the book of Exodus is God's great act of deliverance. I mean, we all think, I mean, even the title of the book refers to the event. And the Red Sea becomes a rallying point throughout Israel's history. Think of the Psalms, reference to the sea, uh, and, and so forth, deliverance. Uh, somewhat like 9-11 is, is a bit of a rallying point for Americans today. Uh, the Red Sea all the more. And, and I wrote, even in the darkest moments when evil is rampant and the wicked appear to triumph, God's plan will not be thwarted. And I don't know where you are this morning. You may feel like <laughs> the enemy's about to take over. Um, but God's plan, nothing is going to overturn it. And that's what I love about Moses, right? And just in this first scene, Pharaoh thinks he's won the day with the securing uh, population control. doesn't work. You're, you, you wring your hands wondering what's going to happen to this basket as it goes down the Nile. No, Pharaoh steps in, Pharaoh's daughter, and Moses has given provisions that no Israelite mother would have ever dreamed of. Jacobed trusted the Lord, but I guarantee you she never imagined what was going to happen with her dear sweet son. Genesis chapter 50, turn there briefly. It's one of my favorite scenes in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 50. It's the death and uh, the burial of Jacob and you got Joseph standing around with his sons and, you know, they're thinking, oh man, Papa's toast, he's dead now, we're toast. He's died, we're toast and, uh, because now Joseph is going to seek revenge. And notice what he says, as for you, you meant to harm me, but God intended it for good purpose. So he could preserve the lives of many people as you can see this day. 
Isn't that an amazing statement? Uh, he's staring at his brothers in their face, and, and I'm thinking, well, daddy's gone now. I can get even. And Joseph says, no. It was awful. I was in Egyptian prison for a long time. 14 years is what most scholars think. Imagine being in jail for 14 years and remaining faithful and trusting God and saying, no, God's plan will not be thwarted. Proverbs 21, the king's heart is where? What's the, the proverb state? The king's heart is in God's hand. <laughs> uh, Obama, Putin, you name it. God could do this instantly, take their life, remove them, do whatever he wants. It's in his hand, right? Secondly, as I look at the life of Moses, here's another one. Even in the midst of desperation, we cannot lose sight that God, and this is key, seeks our best for his glory. Do you believe that God is doing what is best, not only for his people generally, but for you personally? Again, for his glory. That's the key there. Romans 8, it's a text you all know. Uh, it's a familiar text. I'm going to read it. Turn to Romans 8, verse 30. Uh, I'm sorry, start at verse 28. <laughs> it says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. And I, I say this often. Listen, having cancer is not good. Having a divorce is not good. Having a wayward child is not good. But God is allowing that. The good is found in the next verse. For those who love God, because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good. Moses, he wasn't perfect, was he? <laughs> now, we're going to see his flaws uh, his shortcomings, God still uses him and, and God is still faithful in working through him. And the same can be said of each one in this room, right? He doesn't need hafadits. <laughs> uh, and I have my own shortcomings, but God is gracious and, 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 and is saying, listen, I'm going to allow these things in your life. And the good is because I'm, I'm conforming you to the image of my son. And my hand is on you, just like it was on Moses, right? And you say, well, I'm not going to be parting a Red Sea or confronting a world leader. Well, that may be, <laughs> but uh, God chose you before the foundation of the world, right? And he has elevated you to one of his children, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he's looking to move and work through you. And don't forget that. And then the third here as we look at this uh, is that trusting in the Lord calls for a working faith. Uh, you cannot sit on the sidelines and think uh, the spiritual life is just going to get better and better. You got to be on the offense. Where's my coaches, right? Coaches, I got a couple in the room. Uh, offense is key here. Idleness, worry, and apathy are cancerous cells within the soul. I write there in, in your notes. In time, there will be metastasis and ultimately destruction of the host. You cannot sit by and just wait for the spiritual life to, to pass you. And that's what I love. One of the things I love about this men's Bible study is we're, we're being proactive. Getting together and not just being in the word, but also the fellowship with believers and saying, yeah, let, let's pray for one another. Let's, let, let's uh, live life together. Or as our 
the pastor of the church I attend often says, let's get in the grill of the next person uh, and loving, uh, encouraging, exhorting one another and reminding each other, listen, God is in charge, right? He sits on the throne and in his grace and in his mercy, he's moving. There's an old hymn. I put it in your notes to close. Be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you, right? God will take care of you. I remember my grandmother used to sing this a lot. Uh, she just kind of hum it along. She couldn't sing very well, but uh, she, she'd hum it along. And God will take care of you. He can do that with a little baby, put in an ark floating down the Nile, and he can do that with you, right? Comments? Questions? This is great stuff. Uh, I don't know about you. It's been a while since I've looked at the life of Moses, and, and you forget some of this richness that's there in the text and the irony that a Pharaoh thinks he can decree something, and God says, no, 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 no. I've already decreed it. These are my people, and I will see them brought back to the land that I have promised them. Right? Where do you uh, draw the line? God versus abdicating our responsibilities. Okay, Rock just asked a loaded question. He asked, uh, where do you let God and then where do we act? Um, uh, you do both. It's trusting the Lord, letting him lead while at the same time uh, we have to be actively serving. We have to be actively in the word, seeking godly counsel. It's a both and. There's that tension, but it's a both and. Well, let me pray. Father, I just thank you for these men. Thank you for our time together. <clears throat> Lord, we're so grateful for Moses. And uh, looking forward to our study as we journey through his life, as we look even next week with the, the murder that is committed by Moses and the serious consequence. But even in that crud, you are working and moving. And uh, Lord, your hand is on him. And uh, Lord, we're grateful as followers of your son, Jesus, you have promised to not leave us, forsake us, but you've promised to mold us and shape us into the image of your son. And so, Lord, may we be found faithful. Be with these men, uh, some going to work, others, other responsibilities today. Go before them. Bless them, Lord. And thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.